So I wanted to just start with a, a little story I like. Um, I'll read this beginning of this talk. Walking on water. Three monks decide to practice meditation together. They sat by the side of a lake and closed their eyes in concentration. Then suddenly the first one stood up and said, I forgot my hat. He stepped miraculously on the water in front of him and walked across the lake to their hut on the other side. When he returned, the second monk stood up and said, oh, I forgot to put my underwear out to dry. He too walked calmly across the water and returned the same way. The third monk watched the first two carefully in what he decided must be a test of his own abilities. Is your learning so superior to mine? I too can walk, match any feat you too can perform. He declared loudly and rushed to the water's edge to walk across to, but promptly fell into the deep water. Undeterred, the yogi climbed out of the water, tried again, only to sink into the water again. Yet again, he climbed out, and yet again, he tried, each time sinking into the water. This went on for some time as the other two monks watched. After a while, the second monk turned to the first monk and said, do you think we should tell him where the stones are? So I hope uh, really part of the teachings is basically <clears throat> teaching you about these stones uh, that are available uh, to, in some sense, to hold us, to keep us on track. Um, you know, it's such a complicated time right now. Uh, I was just thinking, I just uh, I had a root canal this morning. <laughs> it was one of these things, crazy things to happen where um, I guess, uh, Two weeks, uh, was it? Uh, it was the 15th of March. I left the islands down in, in, in Thailand and came up Bangkok and kind of had to stay in place. And I mostly uh, had uh, noodle soup for my time there. As different Thais went out, they brought me food back. <laughs> it, was, it was okay. Um, but I got bounced three times off of my. Um, my flights and had to buy another ticket back. Um, but in the meantime, when I arrived, I had a toothache. And so uh, I went to the dentist and they just started this incredible complex there where they took your temperature before you went in and you know they had hand centered. They actually very, were very together, but they didn't want to touch me. <laughs> so, um, I kind of waited it through and uh, and came back here. And yesterday, I I could not even chew soup yesterday, so uh, I ended up at the dentist this morning, gratefully. What a trip we're on! You know, this uh, this whole world is uh, an incredible uh, place of transition. I'd like to thank Heather for yesterday for really teaching this. Uh, all these different modalities uh, about the body and staying in it because it's, in essence, it's a fundamental piece here. 
that has always what um you know i've been doing this what 50 years or so or something and probably it is still the most uh important prevalent piece to me is that somehow part of this fundamental training and heather talked about yesterday is that that whenever anything kind of like what's been happening goes on is we go up we go up into our heads and uh these practices are fundamental and how do you bring it down and it's really a practice of inclusion to include the body and the heart uh as uh as the whole so i wanted to uh start a little bit of the story was one piece and what's going on for me is another and what's going on for you is actually another and um so i i like to write poems and and uh, this is called uh, reflections looking down again at the many dusty roads having ventured away a thousand times the backpack the small rooms in foreign countries distinguished by blank walls and bare light bulbs hovering where you don't speak the language crowded streets yet unmistakably friendly silence silence descends leaving one with a simple feeling of contentment yet at home the closets the boxes the possessions seem so entangling the self obsession self obsession of the busy busy world a spinning dervish obsessed with the telltale signs of thinking and planning always in process of circling the wagons yet never yet never really finishing anything always more entrapped and entangled in my own possessions and possessiveness some days some days i remember the places in the high mountains where the heart unbounded and untroubled where nobody knows who you are or cares not even yourself having left the entanglement of the complexities complexities of your shining world resting on the simple the simple out of the way seat the breath renews heart heart gently softens the great silence holds everything holds everything in its singularity peace and ease peace and ease changes everything so as i was kind of thinking about this uh today um and thinking well what is it that would be helpful or could be used or needed right now i was thinking heather did such a great job kind of bringing attention to the body and and how you will have to keep doing this over and over again but also there's this incredible fickle fickle thing called the mind you know and uh it seems to have its own uh what um attraction uh 
which uh, kind of grabs all the little pieces, you know, and, and in Buddhism, they have a word called papancha, which is just mental proliferation. And, and I, I know that what's going on out there, everybody has their different complexities and their, and their wherever they're, uh, what, in place. And, um, and looking at some of the forces that are somehow kind of grasp us and push us along. This is, this is, I want to read this, this is from Mahagosananda, who, um, I, if you don't know who he is, he was uh, the sort of the patriarchal monk of Cambodia. And, you know, it always kind of touches my heart. I, I love Southeast Asia and Tibet, Nepal, and India. Uh, there were, before uh, the Khmer Rouge and uh, Pol Pot came in, there were 50,000 um, monks. And uh, it always touches me in that process of the kind of the killing fields. When it was finished, there were only 3,000 that survived it. You know, I mean, it was truly uh, a holocaust. And Mahagosananda happened to be in France at the time that Pol Pot came in. So he survived and he came back to Cambodia. Um, and one of the, uh, always touches me, you know, he came back and he, um, the camps that ran along the Thai border of the refugees that came. And he would, um, he would go and he'd just chant the Metta Sutta, you know? And that for those refugees who no longer had their monks, uh, he was like a light bulb, you know? And he was uh, an incredibly, I only met him once, uh, kind and, um, you know, he wasn't greatly intellectual or anything else. He was just a, he was really just a big heart, you know, who uh, loved the Buddhist teachings. So I always liked this piece of his, he had a little teeny book, you know, it was basically on loving kindness. The thought, the thought manifests as the word, the word manifests as the deed. The deed, the deed develops into a habit. The habit hardens into a character. The character gives birth to destiny. So watch your thoughts with care and let them spring from love, born out of respect for all beings. So, you know, the mind is such, um, we're, we're set to these creatures, it's kind of this mix in, in uh, kind of, uh, Heather mentioned this, Hatipatana Sutta and, and Mary Grace had, is that, um, uh, one of the fundamentals here is yes, there's body and there is uh, kind of uh, it's there is the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and then there is the mind. Uh, and the mind in this case is, uh, is thoughts and feelings, they don't it's not separated so much. And if you really look into your own experience, you see that somehow that um, so many of the time, sometimes it's the feeling that then generates uh, the uh, kind of the 
obsessive mind. And other times it's a thought that then stimulates the feeling. So they kind of dance back and forth. So you can't really, in some ways, uh, separate one out from the other. But there are fundamental principles uh, that are uh, grasping and holding them on some level, you know. And the first in this kind of uh, mind is, is just this incessant um, desire for something to be other than it is, you know. And so we have uh, this wanting that kind of uh, appears and begins to, uh, you know, uh, it's so interesting, you know, one little feeling or one little thought can then uh, spark, uh, you know, you're supposed to be sitting there just being and watching your breath and being awake and aware. And you get on the train of association and Maybe it's from last year, or maybe for next year, whatever it is, we jump on this train of association and we run, you know. And from really a practice's point of view, you never go anywhere. Uh, you know, there's a great, I love the analogies out of one of the Tibetan stories of a, of, um, a little bird on a ship out in the ocean. And, but it's way, way out in the ocean, and there's no place uh, nearby for the bird to land. Yet the bird flies off, and the bird only has one thing to do. It always has to come back to the ship. And it's no different than here we, have, we are these mind bodies, uh, these nama rupas, and uh, whatever stimulates, uh, the bird flies off. And it takes a while for the bird to come back uh, in the physical world. But for thoughts, it's very fascinating because the moment that you wake up, the moment you recognize, oh, I've been off, you know, uh, I've been papancha, I've been thinking, I've been kind of uh, wondering, suddenly you come back. And one of the secrets there is you come back, you come back instantly, you know, uh, when recognized. And in that moment of recognition, uh, there are, um, you know, you, there are two, two things you could do. Uh, you could either go, oh, I've been gone, and uh, then you can actually create a feeling of, of um, you know, an, of unease. Uh, the fact that, you know, you're supposed to be <laughs> with your breath and body and your heart, and what were you doing? You were off you know, uh, in Tahiti or somewhere, or someplace not here. And when you've come back, you know, you can either choose to say, oh, you know, and in the sense kind of judge yourself, which we are so good, is one of the great uh, powerful things is the inner critic, that sense of, uh, uh, you know, um, I, I didn't do it right. And there's something right about this. And, um, and then the other side of this, so that's one, is, is, is kind of the critical and uh, the judgmental side of things, which we, uh, that's in the feeling base, is a strong force that kind of grabs us and holds us. And I don't know, it kind of, um, you know, it hypnotizes us and trances us in some way. Uh, but then there's another side of that, uh, which is really what we're trying to encourage here is the moment you come back, 
um, there is a different feeling base when you're off you're kind of uh, you're not here so suddenly you come back in your in your body and you realize that somehow uh, there is possibly uh, and I believe there is this message that oh this is enough it, it, here's enough you know this Ida it, it's enough just to be here and that that being here um, then becomes something says oh you know what uh, there is a sense in being here that uh, not only is this enough I'm enough in whatever the circumstances you know wherever you are however it is so but there's always this you know we'll always be working and uh, in the kind of suttas I mean it it's more um, that it's dealing with uh, physical desire you know that somehow uh, because what is it about our physicality uh, is it's impermanent phenomena that simply uh, arises and passes away moment after moment. And uh, even when pleasant sensation arises, uh, it is a temporary condition, you know. And that our job is basically uh, that if we can uh, recognize it for what it is, and instead of again jumping on that train saying, oh, you know, where's that next piece of chocolate or you know, how I'm going to capture my cappuccino or whatever it is, one recognizes it, you know, and then one recognizes it and one, in a sense, uh, in a way, I, I think sometimes you have to say, oh, I see you, I honor you. And uh, in that moment, then uh, the mind returns to this body, this heart, this moment, this ida, you know, this is here, this is enough. So, you know, I think, you know, I, I would say, because wanting is so, uh, the complexity is it's really about uh, the impermanent physical um, objects and things, uh, the uh, sensual base of it. And then there's also like, oh man, there's the wanting. I, I, I want to awaken. I want to be free. You know, I want to be free of suffering. And I think that's such, you know, um, again, that's skillful in recognizing that, oh, I have this fundamental truth that, um, you know, it's a wonderful things about, as Mary started about the, the life and story of the Buddha, you know, that here 2,600 years later, we're still talking about it, you know, that somehow a human being uh, was able to, uh, sit down, uh, not get caught up in all their stories and their fears and uh, their desires, and free themselves from their conditioning. And that that is always, you know, this is something that uh, has been, uh, I think it's, you know, it's a fundamental truth in human being, but it's something that's been pulling us along all this time, you know. And I, from my side, I hear, I just go, oh, I know what you're doing here. You know, um, I too, you know, being a, uh, you know, a seeker with um, 
you know, uh, sometimes the seeking has been, uh, it's had its problems, you know, because it also sometimes is kind of caught between a desire and wanting. And, um, and here we are, you know, I know many of you uh, have done retreats before and, and, um, and there's something about this is such a different venue in the sense that uh, this, you know, uh, sort of uh, staying in place. And so there is, uh, this is a virtual uh, a meditation hall uh, with this, you know, so it doesn't have maybe the same basis, but it has the same function. You know, and you can choose uh, how you want to stay with this. I mean, truly, the art here in uh, in it, um, if we can see that that there's also the the wanting or the desire to awaken, uh, that we can use whatever circumstances, and these are particular circumstances now. And I think, in many ways, uh, the world um, there's a lot of suffering out there, a lot of fear. I mean, coming. Where I stay in Bangkok is, um, I'm usually down the islands or up north, but uh, I had to be there this time. And I tried to go to the dentist, but they said, uh, you know, they didn't want to, they were afraid, they didn't want to treat me. Um, and there's also now somewhat fear of foreigners because who, you know, I mean, it was the first country the, that uh, got it from, from Wuhan, from China, uh, but it hasn't really gone anyplace. Um, and the people who have brought it now back and where it's now starting to go are foreigners, barangs. So uh, that always was a little, put a little uh, what burr in my um, coat there uh, that somehow once loved and now a little bit feared. So on that, side so there is the kind of the wanting and there's this we can say there is a higher uh, to me there's a kind of a higher road higher wanting that's there about awakening and uh, our willingness to to um you know see and uh experience the world uh with much uh grace and compassion you know for what is happening right now and there's also, along with that, uh, the mind has this in its criticism and it's, uh, what is it? It's need sometimes for control um, that it also uh, produces, uh, you could say aversion or ill will or some negative reactivity. And whether it's, and the thing about it that, you know, uh, one is uh, the truth about the wanting is it's actually, you know, it's kind of, it's truth is that it only, it's wanting is based on impermanent phenomena, you know, on the sensual world. Ill will and um, aversion, you know, it's so, it's, it's uh, so insidious sometimes because it gets sometimes just this simple feeling of dislike. And again, Papancha, we kind of jump on the bandwagon. Oh, somebody's judged me or somebody doesn't like me or 
um, you know, or uh, I don't want it like this, or we have so many other, uh, in a sense, they're kind of defensive modes uh, to protect our, um, what we believe to be our uh, inalienable right. And um, in that, uh, a lot of times we create suffering for ourselves and we create it for others. So again, you know, one of the things about ill will and, and when you become reactive and aversive to something, uh, the, the real, like the antidote they say to the wanting mind is a lot of it is just to see one of the things these days is, is with this pandemic is to see how fragile uh, the human being is and that uh, we are all on some level uh, that this gives us some uh, sense of um, time and uh, that uh, there can be the reflection on, uh, I can say, on death and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, because of time, all things arise, they're born, they're here for a while, they pass away. And right now, you know, being someone now in my, headed toward my mid-70s, it's, 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 yeah, it's more fragile, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, you know, I'm here. And uh, this is such a great opportunity uh, uh, to that idat, just simply say in myself, I'm just here. I don't care if my, you know, it's like for a month now, I've had a toothache. And, uh, you know, have, being sort of self-quarantined in Thailand for two weeks and then flying to, you know, from Bangkok to Tokyo, to Tokyo to San Francisco. And it was interesting, in San Francisco, every place else, they really checked everything out. And they did, I just kind of walked through, it was kind of a, uh, I thought, they had to sign up, says, please, you know, do 14 days of quarantine, which I did. Um, but that aversive mind, uh, we, we can, somehow uh, learn to, you know, learn that its antidote, uh, almost inevitable, yes, of course, mindfulness can uh, disempower or dissolve uh, that criticism or that judgment or that reactivity or not having it the way you want it to something much uh, different. And that's really this thing of like, oh, which I think is so important right now, is this meta, this inclusion, you know. Oh, you know. Uh, all beings, all beings uh, want it their way. And so then there is a really a sense of um, meta and compassion and some wisdom of not being so wanting it a certain way. And certainly this retreat is uh, one great example of this because I know that um, most of you signed up to 
you know, be in a very cloistered uh, situation. And um, you are cloistered, but <laughs> it's not maybe the situation you wanted. It doesn't have the same, you know, um, protectiveness that, uh, you know, we at Spirit Rock and the retreat system uh, provides. So this is something that you have to, in a sense, create for yourself, you know. Uh, there's a lot more independence in this. And again, I feel like this is um, a great gift to yourself uh, if you're in your home or apartment or, um, you know, that somehow if you can bring this sense of, oh, you know, I can watch my sense of wanting, my sense of aversion and bring some kindness uh, to your activity and uh, see if you can't just stay in your body and stay as awake and aware uh, as you possibly can. I, I wonder, this is um, also one of, this was one of my teachers that, uh, in Nepal, uh, and he was sort of the, uh, what he was the king and queen of Bhutan's uh, teacher, he's passed away now. And, very, very much loved, Dilgo uh, Kensei Rinpoche. Like waves, all the activities of this life have rolled endlessly on. Yet they have left us empty-handed, myriad of thoughts have run through our minds, but all they have done is increase our confusion and dissatisfaction. Normally, we operate under the deluded assumption that everything has some sort of true substantial reality. But when we look more carefully, we find that the phenomenal world is like a rainbow, vivid and colorful, but without any tangible existence. When a rainbow appears, we see many beautiful colors, yet a rainbow is not something we can clothe ourselves with or wear as an ornament. It simply appears through the conjunction of various conditions. Thoughts, thoughts arise in the mind in the same way. They have no tangible reality or intrinsic existence at all. There is therefore no, there, there is therefore no logical reason why thoughts should have so much power over us nor any reason why we should be enslaved by them. Mind creates both samsara and nirvana. Yet there is nothing much to it. It is just thoughts. Once we recognize that thoughts are empty, the mind will no longer have the power to deceive us. But as long as we take our deluded thoughts as real, we will continue to torment they will continue to torment us mercilessly, as they have been doing throughout countless past lives. To gain control over the mind, we need to be vigilant, constantly examining all thoughts, words, and actions. To cut through the mind's clinging, it is important to understand that all appearances are void, like the appearance of water in a mirage. Beautiful forms of no benefit to the mind, nor can ugly thoughts harm it in any way. Sever, sever the ties 
of hope and fear, attraction and repulsion, and remain in equanimity in this understanding that all phenomena are nothing more than projections of our own mind. To realize that appearances and voidness are one is what is called simplicity. I'll read that again. To realize the, that appearances and voidness or emptiness are, are one and what is called simplicity or freedom from conceptual limitations. That's been a, a, a natural mind, a, a refrain for me for many years. So we have, you know, this, these, which are really uh, bodies and feelings of, uh, which are generating these phenomenal amounts of um, pancha, these kind of mind wanderings. And then there is also uh, influences. And the influences, uh, you know, traditionally they're just called uh, views and opinions and judgments. You know, and I remember Ajahn Chah said, you know, what is, he was asked of what separates the world. And he simply answered, views, opinions, and judgments, you know, they separate the world. And so in some way, this practice, you know, this ability to um, kind of release uh, the tangles uh, that we ourselves create, there is also influences. And the views and opinions have to do with influences. And first, I just also want to honor the fact that, uh, you know, that sometimes we kind of see through one and then another one just pops up right behind it. So I get that. But uh, we also have to begin, to, this is where awareness really comes in, to begin to see that uh, somehow, first of all, you are, you know, as me, as all of us, we are conditioned creatures, conditioned through our nervous system, conditioned through our past, uh, conditioned uh, by our um, imprints uh, from school, from family, from or lack of, um, whatever it is, there's these imprints. And part of our job here is first, uh, is to become awake to them, aware to them, see how they, because they simply have, the nature either to push or pull you or this papancha to make uh, this incredible dance of uh, thoughts that then uh, somehow we don't is real and uh, then it creates uh, uh, suffering or some kind of um, contraction or um, our power to move, you know to move away from, to disappear, or to attack. You know, it's pretty simple. I, I like this as one of the quotes of the Dharmapada. Those who cling to perceptions and views wander the world offending people. Another translation, butting heads in the world. And so I, I, as I see the practice is, it's not that we're not, it's not we're not gonna have them because we are, we are conditioned creatures, you know? And if we understand a little about this kind of the wheel of dependent origination, how uh, things are constantly 
you know, in a sense, kind of circling. And that our job uh, in that, uh, realizing that we are caught uh, by that wanting or that, um, that ill will or aversion uh, is the fact that uh, we're being pushed and pulled. Uh, and a lot of it is just through our uh, wonderful intellectual capacities uh, and um, uh, sometimes not through wisdom, but through conditioning. So I like, you know, I, I, I'm going to move a little different because I think of views and opinion. I think, well, how are we ever going to untangle all of it? Well, we're not. Um, well, unless you become enlightened or a Buddha. Um, but at the same time, uh, to be able to be awake and aware and, uh, you know, you can't always see their origins, you know. Uh, and sometimes, of course, this is my mind, I think of conditioning and I think of it as like, you know, um, well, it's like twins come into the world. And uh, they, you know, and it, if they, are, they grow up in the same household, they go to the same schools, they go to uh, the parents, uh, you know, uh, treat them the same, uh, they are dressed the same, they go to the same schools, all the same conditioning. And yet they'll be completely different, you know. So in that way, uh, it's really uh, kind of mysterious, isn't it? How, how did you get to be how you are? How did you ever get to Dharma? You know, I think back for myself, you know, in my uh, late teens, early 20s, um, you know, back in the 60s, uh, it, it was a kind of unusual conditioning. Uh, and I feel like that wasn't what it was about. It was, there was something that I already was interested in and knew I, I was. In some ways, I think of each of you, uh, you know, all of you here, that uh, there have been conditions. You know, uh, it could have been just picking up Siddhartha or um, you know, you heard something or somebody said something to you and you were drawn to it. And here you are, you know, what a phenomenon, you know. Um, is it just by accident or are there causes and conditions? And, and from my point of view, there are causes and conditions. This is no accident. I don't know if there are any accidents. It's just like these causes and conditions. Right now, the world is in this incredible... You know, it, you could say, oh, it's just this incredibly negative, uh, terrible thing that's happening. Yet, if you look back uh, in human conditioning, uh, I also believe that there is uh, another side to this. And uh, we haven't seen it yet. We just see the kind of the contraction, the negativity, uh, the terrible, terrible um, life and death situations and I, I you know I fear for like the ties because of just the way they are uh, 
And in so many places, I've spent so much, I've spent a dozen years in Asia, and there are a lot of people there. And they don't have the same uh, um, disciplines, and uh, you know, they are much more relational in many ways. And we have the privilege of having a lot of space and can create it. At least I do. Uh, and I think many of the kind of uh, in the Western world, we, we have a lot of privilege that way. So I'm hoping that, you know, that this, uh, the karma of all this conditioning, that there will be some great teaching, uh, you know, even if it's, it's simple, the fact that this is, you know, it's no longer about country. It's no longer about ethnicity. It's no longer uh, all the kind of mental parameters we put up are no longer valid. You know, uh, we are uh, a world community that is, uh, uh, I hope in a way somehow this can have its opposite as well is somehow this power to, um, you know, not bring xenophobia, but actually bring acceptance of uh, a, a world that we have, um, you know, we keep trying to separate through borders and clans and uh, tribes uh, somehow that this has uh, some way of kind of breaking some of that down. So the last little piece I want to talk about, and then I'll read this, uh, this poem again. And um, there is this concept that somehow there is this self that uh, is somehow adorned and privileged on some level, uh, you know, in the relative world. Uh, that uh, we have this name and we have this degrees and whatever it is that uh, we perceive ourselves to be. And what's interesting to me is the Buddha was not interested in the relative self. He was looking more at the universal self, that which is not separate, that which is the truth that connects all beings. And uh, his intent through the practice was to uh, allow uh, people to uh, kind of leave that contracted separate self uh, for this kind of universal, more uh, non-separate self. And the principle was simply awareness that uh, it is something that uh, as a human being, we uh, can foster and uh, give credence to that. Uh, and that awareness is really the secret to all this, wherever you are hunkered down, that uh, the place you are, uh, that awareness is something that is always with you. It's something that if in the, the real secret to this is that it can be a continuity of that awareness. Oh, 
I'll stay awake. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go out. I'll walk now. And or, or the metta practice will be coming. And it'll all work just fine. Okay. So I'd like to just read this to end. And then um, the metta. Looking down again at the many dusty roads, having ventured away a thousand times the backpack, the small rooms in foreign countries, distinguished by blank walls and bare light bulbs, hovering where you don't speak the language, crowded streets, yet unmistakably friendly. Silence, silence descends, leaving one with a simple feeling of contentment. Yet at home, the closets, boxes, possessions seem so entangling. The self-obsession of this busy, busy world. A spinning dervish obsessed with the telltale signs of thinking and planning. Always in process of circling the wagons, yet never, never, never finishing anything. Always, always more. Entrapped and entangled by my own possessions and possessiveness. Some days, some days I remember the place in the high mountains where the heart, unbounded and untroubled, where nobody knows who you are or cares, not even yourself. Having left the entanglement of the complexities of this shining world, resting on the simple out-of-the-way seat. Breath, he knows. Heart, heart gently softens. The great silence holds everything in a singularity. Peace and ease change everything. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.